You know, I could say just turn anywhere in Psalms and uh, and we'd be in for a blessing because I don't know of any bad parts of the Psalms, do you? I mean, they're all good. But uh, this one here really, I think, speaks to us in a special way because it, well... It just describes where we are so many times in life. Psalms 142, verse 1. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before Him. I showed before Him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, Then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privately laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, and there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto the Lord, O Lord, I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. This psalm of David, remember, who was a man after God's own heart, reminds us that life, even for a good person, can be very difficult and unfair. Keep in mind that David was a national hero, and yet he was hated by the one person who, above everybody else, that should have appreciated him, and that was King Saul who was determined that he was going to kill David. He's going to get rid of David. That way he would have no one, you know, to vie for the attention of the people. And so now we come to this psalm and we see David hiding in a dark, damp cave, hiding in fear for his life. And I want you to notice what he says in verse number 4, the very last part, no man cared for my soul. You see, this story isn't just about David. The chances are we've all felt that way at some time to some degree. Your cave might be different than David's cave. It might be a cave of depression. It might be a a, a cave of, of failure of some kind. It can be any number of things. But although the circumstances are different, Sooner or later, we all have problems of some sort, and those problems can make us bitter or they can make us better, and the choice is ours. You know, it's interesting, in in the very first part of this, and I've underlined each phrase in my Bible, verse 1, where he says, with my voice, and I underline, unto the Lord. Verse 2, he poured out his complaint before him, which I underline, I showed before him. And keep in mind that David is, is speaking here to the Lord. He's not pouring out his complaint to the community. He's not complaining to somebody else. 
He's talking to the Lord about his problems and about his needs. And by the way, that's, you know, that's the only place that will really do any of us any good. And the key, the key to making things better instead of getting bitter is that we do what David did, and that is to take it to the Lord. He turned to the Lord, and when we do that, regardless of what the circumstances are, we can endure everything. Now, if, if, if I ask the question this morning, how many of you believe that? How many of you believe with God's help, you know, if we turn to Him, that, that we can do everything, we can endure everything? Well, everybody here would answer yes to that. But the fact of the matter is there are only a few, I suspect, that actually demonstrate that kind of faith in God because most of us are wallowing in self-pity. We're trying to justify the way that we feel by pointing out, you know, the severity of our problem. And so, you know, now we've got a license to feel that way. And I'm not trying to minimize anyone's problems. I'm trying to help you to prevail over your problems as David did. David could have just stayed focused on the problems and complained and got bitter and complained to everybody else, and he would have never recovered. No man cared for my soul. Now, we read that, and we think about his situation, and we come to the conclusion, well, that's absolutely right. Nobody cared about him. He's hiding all alone there in that cave, when in reality... When in reality, we know that there were 400 that eventually came to David's aid and 400 who indeed cared about him. But the point is, this is the way David feels. He feels totally forsaken by all. It's interesting, several years ago, I read that scattered throughout the diaries, that's in the plural, of Madeline Murray O'Hare, and I surely don't need to tell anybody who she is, But scattered throughout all of her different diaries, they found this phrase over and over again, somebody, somewhere, love me. Think about that. Somebody, somewhere, love me. And I can't help but wonder, had she felt that love from others? Had she known that love? Had she come to know the Lord? The silly ruling of kicking prayer out of schools might have never happened. But here was a woman desperate for love, a woman who, well, who was eventually murdered. She's dead now and in hell unless there was a last minute of repentance. And, you know, I think a lot of people feel exactly like she did. Somebody, somewhere, love me. That feeling of being unloved, unwanted, uncared for by the world sometimes lead people to do some really foolish things. I read the story, a true story, of a, of a teenager, by the way, who took his own life, and he just left this suicide note. Here's all it said. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Now, I don't believe for a minute that that was really true. But I'm telling you, that was his response to the way that he felt, and it ended up costing him his life. 
And I think it's safe to say that there's a lot of people feel the same way as that young man. A lot of people feel the same way as Madeline Murray O'Hare did. Somebody somewhere loved me. Well, let's face it. The sad fact of the matter is there are people who don't care. You know, we'd like to think we'll live in a world where everybody cares about people, but that's, that's just not the way it is. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, verse 2, he said, Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Going on, he says, they'll be without natural affection. That is, they don't even love their own family. They'll be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Boy, let me tell you, there's more than a few that fit that description. Lovers of their own selves. They have no natural affection. They love pleasure more than they love God. Some people don't care. Compromising preachers do not care. You know, it might sound really good for a preacher to get up and to say everything that everybody wants to hear, to just, you know, make, you know, every message syrupy sweet, just, you know, never, never get off onto the subject of sin, never say anything that is, you know, is going to hurt somebody's feelings. And let, let me tell you, that's not an expression of love. That is unconcern. Amen. Any preacher that really cares is going to preach the truth rather than what people want to hear. There, then there are carnal church members who just don't care. Let's face it. As wonderful as this church is, as wonderful as many of the members are, there are some members that don't care. They, don't, they wouldn't care if the, if the church closed down tomorrow. Wouldn't care. Wouldn't bother them one bit. They just don't care. And it's that way wherever you go. And this cruel world certainly doesn't care. I mean, it'll chew you up and spit you out. The world doesn't care anything about you. All the world wants to do is use you. So there are people who do not care, but it's a big mistake for us to assume that because there are people that do not care, that nobody cares. That's the way David is feeling right now. No man cared for my soul. So I want to talk to you this morning about the fact that that there is someone who cares. Some of them are here. I get so tired of hearing people accuse Christians of uh, of not caring. You know, whenever you get right down to it, they're really the only ones who really do care. And yet people criticize the Lord's church and God's people, you know, for not caring. And I'm telling you, there are people here on earth who care. I think about our missionaries, for example, you have any idea what great sacrifices that missionaries have made? Every Christian ought to read the biographies of the great missionaries of years gone by. If you never read The Golden Shore by Adoram Judson, if you've never read the story of David Livingston, and that list goes on and on and on, you owe it to yourself to spend some time getting acquainted with, with those kind of people. Read about David Brainerd, the young man, missionary to the American Indians here, who literally burned out, as it were, in serving the Lord Jesus Christ and died at a very 
early age. Now, all of those men are dead and gone, but at this moment there are missionaries here in this world that have, they've given up their careers, they've sold their possessions, they, they have left their friends, they've left their family, they've taken their family to some part of the world where nobody wants them to even be there, they've subjected them to all kinds of difficulties and hardships and hatred, they're despised, and they live there without any complaint. Wow, just going through debutation ought to be enough to make a missionary pull his hair out and resign. I mean, that's hard enough dealing with the churches trying to raise support to get to the field. That's difficult enough, but then when you get on the field, that's something else. And to think about them going there and ministering to people that care nothing about them And they go there because they care. I'll never forget Brother Bob Hughes preaching for me several years ago. In fact, on more than one occasion, Bob talking about his ministry there in Cebu City and in the Philippines and telling those stories of ministering to those people, you know, out in the countryside and the, the difficulties and what have you. You know, I couldn't help but think to myself, my soul, how many would be willing to go and to do what he did. But I'm telling you, there are missionaries like that right now. There are pastors who care. It'll soon be 50 years that I've been preaching and I've known hundreds, even thousands of different preachers. And I can tell you right now with all honesty, they're some of the finest people on the face of the earth and they're not in it for the money. They're not in it just so they can make a name for themselves. I know what they go through being a preacher. I know the difficulties and the struggles and what have you. I know the hardships that it puts on their family, and that's no small matter for a preacher to consider that I'm going to subject my family to this just so I can go and minister to other people. I'm going to move them away from grandma and grandpa. They only get to see them maybe one time a year. I I know what that's like, and I'm simply telling you that preachers care. Not only do they care, but listen, there are Sunday school teachers, there are church workers, people involved in different kinds of ministry in the church that care. Anybody who is serious about serving God has to pay a price for doing so. They dedicate themselves to a ministry, a ministry that most people don't even want to be involved in, and they make sacrifices that are seldom ever appreciated and they get out there and work without any praise from mankind, you know, and, and they do it, why? Because they care, because they love God and they love people. I was thinking yesterday, and it was so good, that uh, as I walked over to get me some catfish while Kep was singing, and I walked over there, and a man and a woman came up behind me, and I, I, I didn't, didn't know them or didn't recognize them. I guess maybe I've met them before, and... The woman said, Brother Stone, and I turned around and said, we want to thank you for what, uh, for what your church has done. And this wasn't even the people that the fundraiser was for. This was for the Pregnancy Crisis Center. Thank you. You'll never know how much it means to us that your church bought those Bibles and provided the Bibles that we give out to the people. And I thought, how wonderful it is, you know, how, and how proud I was to be the pastor of the church 
you know, that was there ministering, trying to raise money on this occasion for the women's shelter and trying to help them. And and, and listen, it's not without sacrifice that people do that. I I thought to myself and I told Bev, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go on home. I came on home, propped my feet up, and I was resting. They're still out there in the sun, and they've got to pack up all of the drums and put up everything, load it up and take it home. You know, look, that takes effort. And you don't do that just because you're out there having fun. You do that because you care. And I could go on. I could speak about those involved in Awana, those involved in Sunday school. I think about you know the ministry on on Friday nights, the family fun uh, night, and and all that. Somebody, somebody's got to clean up the mess. Somebody's got to take care of this. They got to open the doors. I'm saying that every ministry, regardless of what sort it is, requires some kind of sacrifice, and and, and it's only those who care that really get in there and do that. Don't tell me people don't care. Don't tell me that nobody cares. No, there's a lot of people that care. And you look around this building this morning, I want you to know there are a lot of people that care. And then there are others. We haven't even touched the hem of the garment. There are many others there. You have friends who care. You have family members who care. Oh, I know they can't give you their undivided, constant attention. I realize that. They've got a life to live. I understand that. But they care, and they care deeply. Of course, some of them don't. Some of them don't. I mean, the day after your funeral, I mean, you, you, we worry so much about, you know, oh, what if I die? And oh my, I, well, my kids are going to grieve to me. They'll never get over this. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Don't kid yourself. You're, none of us are that important that they're going to spend the rest of their life grieving because we died. Good night. After all, we're going to heaven. We're not getting a demotion. We're going to heaven. That's something to rejoice in. But there are those that don't care. But let me tell you, there are people that care. There are people in your family and friends that you have that care, and they care deeply about it. And if push comes to shove, and it's right down where the rubber meets the road and the nitty-gritty of life, and, and, and you need them, they'll be there for you. I'm just so glad, and I don't say this as a pastor thing. I say it because I mean it and because of relationships. I'm glad that I can stand here and look out there, and even if I never called on any of you to help me, if I, you know, I'll never pick up the phone and call and say, hey, brother, sister, I've got this problem. I really need you. Even if I never do that, I know there are people there that I could do that, and they would respond Thank God for people like that. David said, no man cares for my soul. And whenever you, listen, when you feel that way, you need to understand that there are some here who care. Not only are there some here who care, there are folks in heaven who care. Luke chapter 15, verse 10, Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Now, I don't understand all that goes on in heaven, but it's evident that somebody there is rejoicing. I'm not going to debate with you whether it's the angels that are rejoicing or whether it's the saints that are rejoicing in the presence of the angels and whatever. I think everybody in heaven 
is rejoicing. Like that old song that says, you know, it talks about when a sinner is lost, is found, and it says there'll be shouting time in heaven. Amen? And every time somebody gets saved, heaven gets happy. Not that they're sad, but I mean they are rejoicing, expressing that fact. There are people in heaven who care. And there are people here who care. Not only that, there are people in hell who care. Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? Here the rich man lived sumptuously every day. Well, everything was going his way. And old Lazarus lay out at the gate and the dogs licked his sores. He didn't have anything to eat. But they both died. You see, death levels all ground. doesn't make any difference whether you're rich or poor. We're all going to die. And the rich man died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes. And said, and being in torment, said to Abraham, would you send Lazarus and let him just dip his finger in some water and touch my tongue? I'm tormented in this flame. But listen to this. He was not just concerned about himself. All of a sudden, he's begging Abraham to send Lazarus back. In other words, let him be resurrected from the dead and send him to my father's house because I have five brethren that, you know, and so evidently he was familiar with the family. And it would get your attention if a dead man, you know, somebody's buried yesterday, walked up and knocked on your door. I thought, we buried you yesterday. Oh, you did, but, but they sent me back here. Your, your brother wanted me to come and tell you that he didn't want you to come to hell. Somebody says, well, I tell you, I don't mind going to hell. All my friends are going to be there. Let me tell you, there's nobody in hell that wants you there. You are an intruder in hell. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. You have no business there whatsoever. You're going to be unwelcomed if you go there. Those that have gone to hell don't want you there. There are those who care. Some of them are here. Some of them are in heaven. Some of them are in hell. But listen carefully. Some of them are heavenly. Some of them are heavenly. By that I mean the Father cares. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Amen? He cares. Nobody ever lived without being loved. Because God so loved the world. He cares. The Son cares. 1 John 3, 16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us. John 15, verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And on and on and on the references go to the fact that Jesus loved us enough that He gave His life. The songwriter had it right. No one ever cared for me like Jesus when you feel no one cares, you remember there are those here who care, those in heaven who care, those in hell who care, those who are heavenly care, the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Spirit and the Bride says, Come. At this very moment, if the truth was known, the Spirit of God is dealing with somebody's heart. 
tugging at your heartstrings, urging you to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And contrary to what you might think, that nobody cares, your problem is not that nobody cares. That's not your problem. The problem is that you don't care. The problem is that you don't care enough to acknowledge the truth. You don't care enough to admit your sinfulness. You don't care enough to accept what God has provided to meet your needs. And without God in your life, you're always going to have that feeling that nobody cares because there's a the most important part of you is missing, and that's God. And you need to stop blaming others. And if you feel like you're being cheated, if you're feeling like nobody cares for you, you don't have anybody to blame. Now, listen, it's true. There are some people that do not care about you. There are some people that will do you wrong. There are some people that will hurt you. But for us to just focus on those bad experiences, for us to focus on those few who really don't care and neglect all of those who do care, that is a horrible mistake. If if you want a blessing, you ought to read the story of Charles Weigel, who, in, in the opinion of some, one of the greatest songwriters that that ever lived. He wrote uh, somewhere between 400 and 1,000 different Christian uh, hymns. And uh, he was born in Lafayette, Indiana, several years ago. <laughs> several years ago, November the uh, 1871, I believe it was, there in Lafayette. And the family encountered uh, financial problems, and so when he was, I think, about 12 years old, they moved to all places Newport, Kentucky. Little did I know that 92 years later, I'd be moving my family to Newport, Kentucky, there in a little old house right close to Fort Thomas, and uh, and uh, had no idea. But while he was there, he was saved. He got involved. Uh, he got involved with uh, a group of young people in Cincinnati. And uh, he surrendered to preach. And he, he wrote that, that song, that famous song, I think the best song he ever wrote, No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus. And uh, what a story there is behind that. Brother, Brother Weigel was known mainly for his songwriting, but a lot of times people forget about uh, his effective minister as a, as a preacher. He's going into one town, and Billy Sunday had been there and held a meeting. Billy Sunday said, man, you're wasting your time going there. He said, said, it's just not going to do any good at all. Those people are so hard and so cold and so indifferent. He said, I I couldn't do a thing there. He said, just going to waste your time. And Dr. Weigel said, well, you know, he said, God just laid it on my heart, and I just feel like I need to go. And had a tremendous meeting and hundreds saved. So here is a fellow that, that I mean had an effective ministry and was traveling all over the place singing and, 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 and preaching. And one day he came in from, from one of the crusades and he found a note there by his wife, wife of many years. And I, I, I want to read this because I want to get it right. Here's what that note said, Charlie. 
I've been a fool. I've done without a lot of things long enough, and from here on out, I'm getting all I can of what the world owes me. I know you'll continue to be a fool for Jesus, but for me, it's goodbye. Wow. Put yourself in his shoes. For the next several years, five to be exact, he became so despondent that he despaired even of life. He thought about committing suicide. Here, here is this great man of God writing gospel hymns, preaching across the nation, hundreds of people coming to know Christ as their Savior. And now he's down to the point that he feels like no one understands and nobody really cares and I just, there's just no need for me to even try to go on. And he become a casualty. In his own words, he said this, One day I received the sad news that my wife had died and under very heartbreaking and tragic circumstances, she had had less than five years in which to, quote, try the world. And eternity had begun for her. And what did the future hold for me? It was while reviewing the heart-rending experiences of the past few years and reflecting upon the goodness and love of the Savior, who never forsook me through it all, that there was rekindled in my soul the desire to write a song. This song would be the summation of my whole life experience with this wonderful friend. It was a story the whole world needed to know, and it came to me as fast as I could put it down, and it was the first song I had written since the day my world seemed to fall apart and now I wanted the whole wide world to know that no one ever cared for me like Jesus. I carry the words of that song in my Bible all of the time. I never take it out of my Bible. Wow. What a message. You ought to go home and read it. If I could do it justice, I'd sing it, but I'm not, I'm not even going to try that. But listen, you think about all that he had gone through in the time when he thought that nobody cares. My ministry is over. My wife has left me. It has all been for naught. Listen, that was in 1932. In 1951... Dr. Lee Robertson invited Dr. Weigel to come to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and, and he later moved him into what they called the prophet's chamber, you know, the quarters that we you know, have for missionaries, something like that. It was right there on the campus, and the church all agreed they were going to let him live there, and he lived there till he died. And this, to me, this is key. He died December the 3rd, 1966 which in December of 1966, I preached my first sermon. He died at the age of 95. I never knew Brother Weigel, but I knew his pastor. 
It's amazing the way God puts things together. We were having a revival meeting in the church where I was saved, and a fellow by the name of Parker Daly, who later became the president of the Baptist Bible Fellowship, and he was preaching the meeting there. And in fact, we had uh, had Brother Daly to come and was in the home, and Bev prepared the meal and fed him. And what a what a great preacher and. So one day during the meeting, the pastor called and said, Brother Stone, Brother Daly wants you to come over to the, over to the parsonage. And uh, he knew I'd just surrendered to preach. And, and so I went over there, and I thought, boy, he's going uh, to really, you know, g- give me, you know, some kind of really helpful information. And I got over there, and he said, uh, let's go down to the ball field. He said, Brother Parker pitches for the church softball team, and he wants you to show him how to throw a drop ball and a rise ball. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. We spent the day down at the ball field doing that. Listen, I haven't forgot where I'm at. It was during that time that I got to know Parker Daly, and uh, through talking to him, he said, uh, he said, uh, Sony said, I want you and your pastor to come up to uh, Blue Ridge Baptist Temple in Kansas City where he pastored. And he said, I'm having Dr. Lee Robertson is going to be there for a week, and I want you to meet him, and, and I want you to spend some time up there with him. And I had the privilege. I didn't know Dr. Weigel, but I knew his his pastor, Dr. Robertson, and, and, and spent hours there during that time being able to sit and listen and talk with him one-on-one and together with my pastor and Parker Daly. Now, I'm saying all that for a reason. Remember, it was Dr. Robertson who said, he was Dr. Weigel, and at the time he was 80 years old. He's been restored naturally, and he's written all of this music. He's back in ministry, but now he's old. His health isn't good. Dr. Lee Robertson said, we'll give you a place. They not only gave him a place to live to the time that he died when he was 95, they constructed a memorial building there, the Charles F. Weigel Music Center that is there on that campus until this very day. Let me tell you the best way. When you feel like nobody cares and you're tempted to complain about all of the people that don't care, here's the best advice I can give you. Instead of complaining about all of the people that don't care, you become a person who does care. You get busy caring about others. Charles Weigel lived to be 95, but Lee Robertson lived to be 98. I believe he lived that long because God... God honored the kindness he showed to that old man that had been through so many difficulties and felt that nobody cared. If you don't believe what I'm telling you, you read the story of David and understand who that man was. Yes, he's just a man. He's hiding in the cave. He is down and out. And it appears to him that nobody cares. But he's not telling the world about He's going to God and pouring out his heart to God. And he said, Lord, I want you to restore me. Why? So I can praise you. That was the whole purpose in being restored. Not that life will be easy. Not that life will be better. 
But Lord, I just want to be restored so I can praise You. When we make that the main desire of our heart and we care enough to to demonstrate our concern for others, God is a way of honoring our efforts. After all, doesn't the Bible say that we reap what we sow? We just finished Romans chapter number 12. Folks reading through it every day for a month. Anybody tell me what verse 21 says? What? Go ahead. Be not overcome what? Of evil, but do what? Overcome evil with good. You see, you can't get rid of the evil. You can't snap all of the evil out of this world. It is there. There are people that do not care. There are people that will hurt you for no reason. How do we respond to that evil? We overcome the evil with the good. And when it, when it, when it is apparent to us that nobody cares, the best thing we can do is to be to somebody else what we feel is lacking in our life. Be that caring person to someone else. And if the Bible is true, we're going to reap what we sow. We're going to overcome the evil with the good. Amen. Amen. And we'll live to see another day. No man cared for my soul. Boy, you'd read the story of David. And what a con- oh, yeah, I know already the devil's dragging you back to that big failure in his life. Let me tell you, his character is not identified by that one failure in his life. And you read the story, and if ever there was a man who cared and cared deeply for his people, it was David, and he proved it. It's a man that stayed by the stuff and got the job done and brought to a nation the most glorious time of its history. And you see what David did for Israel? That's what God wants to do with you for somebody else. You be that person that's missing in your life. You be that caring person to somebody else who right now at this moment feels no man cares for my soul. Prove to them that they're wrong. And if you're here and you've never received Christ as your Savior, I want you to know you're not forgotten. People do care. God cares. And he proved it because he gave his son that you might be saved. Let's all stand. Father, how we thank you for your loving kindness, which you've proven in so many different ways. How we thank you, Heavenly Father, for those people that have used in our lives. And Lord, this morning as my mind has gone back over these many years and the journey that, that not just me, but the journey that Bev and I have been on over all all of these many years now, and I think about the the many needs that we had in our life, and I look back, and all of a sudden a name pops in my mind as you remind me that you had somebody there 
to meet that need. And we've never been without. We've no reason for complaint. You've been more than good. You've been gracious every step of the way. And how I thank you for your loving kindness and your many blessings. And Lord, this morning there might be someone who is down and out. They're in a cave of depression, a cave of doubt. All is dark and gloom. They just feel like there's no reason to go on. Help them to see this morning, Lord, that somebody cares. Most of all, Jesus cares for them. For we pray in